Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. We've been in this series uh, called God with us, and I want to continue in this series. And really, what we've been talking about is how we survey God, uh, who's always with us. And we get our text for the whole series in Matthew chapter one and verse twenty-three. It says, "Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means." God is with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake us. He's always with us. He's walking with us daily. And the first week we talked about how God is with us in our valleys and our struggles and our trials. God is with us. Last week we talked about how God is with us in our waiting. We're all in seasons for waiting for something and waiting on God to move in some area of our lives and how he's with us. Well, today I want to talk to you about how God is with us on the mountain. On the mountain. You're like, what do you mean? We live in Florida. There are no mountains. We're lucky to get a hill. Come on, somebody. When, I t- when we talk about on a mountain, what we mean by that is really there's mountaintop seasons in our lives, meaning it's really a season where God is blessing us, a season where God is moving in our lives. Maybe God is speaking to us. We see his hand and his heart evident, and we hear his voice in our lives throughout the day, throughout our lives. And so we all go through seasons on the mountain. God gives us these seasons to encourage us, to challenge us, and to work in us and through us. And I want to talk about that today, about really what God does on the mountain. You're like, well, God's with me on the mountain, obviously, because he's evident. Obviously, I see his hand. He's blessing me. I'm, I, it's easy to see God. That's great. That's true. But I also want to talk about through the scripture today, really what he does in the season in us and through us on the mountaintop season. And I want to talk to you today uh, from the story of Abraham and Isaac. Many of you probably know this story, but Abraham and his wife were very old and they were unable to have children. God meets with them and God blesses him and says, you're going to have a child in your old age. And they end up having a child, him and his wife, Sarah. They name the child Isaac. The, the, The son grows up. And then after the son grows up, God gets and meets with Abraham and says, I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. I want you to go and sacrifice him. Now, we look at that now and we're like, oh my gosh, how would God ever ask someone to sacrifice their child? Well, we know from the end of the story, that's not what God was really asking. He was never intending to harm Isaac at all. The Bible says that he was just testing Abraham's faith. And so what we see in the scripture is he's tests his faith and Abraham gets up and he gets all the supplies that he needs. He takes his son, they go on a three-day journey and they offer this sacrifice and and they're gonna offer a sacrifice. He ties up his son and he puts his son even on the altar, the Bible says. And as he puts his son on the altar, the Bible says that God stops him and says, whoa, 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 don't do it. Don't do it, stop. And the Bible says that Abraham looks over and he sees a ram as that he wants them to use as an offering. And we see in this scripture, on this context of this story, really, uh, really what God can do uh, in us and through us on the mountaintop seasons. I wanna talk to you about that today. Really, we see the script story. We're gonna break down some of the scripture. I told it to you, but I wanna break it down for you as we read it together. Genesis chapter 22 and verse one, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, here I am, he replied. 
here I am. He replied, okay, so let me explain what's happening here. Abraham was walking through a mountaintop season for many years. He had been blessed for many years. We, you probably know Abraham was, had a covenant with God the uni- of the universe. God gave him a covenant, said, you're gonna, you're gonna have many descendants. You're gonna be blessed. All, your, your, all the nations will come out of you and you'll have descendants so many that they'll be the, you won't even better count them like the stars in the skies. And so he says this and he, so he's blessed with God and his relationship with God. And then he has a son He's blessed physically and he receives the gift that he's been praying for, that he'd been believing for, that he'd been hoping for. And then not only that, but then right before this chapter in verse 21, in chapter 21, excuse me, Abraham actually has this covenant that he makes, this peace uh, treaty that he makes with the king of his enemies. And so not only is he blessed physically, blessed spiritually with God, but also he's blessed in the, in the world where there's peace and he has all these things happening. And so he's in this season of great mountaintop experience, of a great mountaintop experience. And here's what's interesting. Oftentimes we think that we see in the scripture, we read this and we think Isaac was a young boy and maybe he was three, maybe he was five, maybe he was two. And so he just kind of put Isaac on the altar as a, as a baby, but that's not true at all. Many theologians believe that Isaac was either a teenager or, or, a, or a college student age person. Between the ages of 13, 15, really, and 18 and 19 is what they believe Isaac was. Why do we know that? Because we see in the scripture that Isaac is communicating with Abraham, so he couldn't be a baby. But then not only is he communicating with Abraham, he also is carrying the wood for the offering. And back then, the wood and the, for the burnt offerings was very large. It was very heavy. So Isaac had to be a grown man. You know what I'm saying? He's probably as large as I am. Come on, somebody. That's a joke. It's okay. You laughed. I'll forgive you. That being said, though, he, he, he was, we obviously see that he was not a, a, a newborn or an infant or a toddler. He was someone who was either a teenager or young adult in his life. That being said, we see, if that's the case, that Abraham for many years was in this mountaintop season. And then here comes God, and the Bible says in verse one, it says, sometime later, that, that season, many years, many years, sometime later, then God comes and tested Abraham's faith. And he says, Abraham, God called. And Abraham says, here I am. On the mountaintop experiences, God calls us. He calls us. He wants you to know that he desires to, for you to call out to you. See, in the, in the valley seasons, in the trial season, troubles, pain, struggles. What we often do is we're reaching out for God. We're saying, God, we need you. Where are you? God, bless me. God, take care of me. In the waiting season, we're crying out, God, where are you? We're wanting you to to bless us with this thing that we're believing for. And we are oftentimes calling out to God. Well, on the mountaintop season, we see God calls out to Abraham. Why is that? Here's one of the reasons why. If we're not careful on the mountaintop season, we can get so comfortable with being blessed in what we have going on around us that we can start getting comfortable and distracted with all the things we have going on around us. And I love this, that God, it comes to him and he calls him, he says, Abraham, he calls him by name. Abraham's living his life, he's doing his thing, he's being faithful to God, he's loving his child, he's loving his spouse, he's doing everything he does. He's going through the routine of life and then God comes and disrupts Abraham's routine. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves on the mountaintop seasons. We have to ask ourselves, are we so blessed that we're so caught up in being blessed and being fruitful and doing the things that God, that we're doing on earth that we're not, we don't allow God to disrupt or interrupt our schedules? Can God interrupt your schedule at work? Can God interrupt your schedule at school? 
Can God interrupt your schedule at home? Or are we so caught up in just taking care of the things that we have that we can miss God is trying to call to us, to speak to us? Because he loves us. He cares about us. And the mountaintop season, when I say mountaintop season, I say blessed. You may be like, well, you don't understand. I've been dealing with this one thing or I've been struggling or I've been praying for this one thing. Yeah, that might be true. But all of us are blessed. You may not even feel blessed, but let me tell you something. We as a country, and you may not agree with what our country is doing, what our country says. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we as a country are blessed. We are a country are very blessed. If you don't believe me, go to a third world country right now. Go somewhere where they're not getting the things that you receive. In fact, they say now, I think you're in the top, I think it's 3% of the richest people on the planet if you have a car. Top 3% of 7 billion people if you just have a car. We are all so blessed. Now, it, we may not have everything that you, you may not have everything you want, but doesn't mean that we're not blessed. And so we all as a country are living, if you call yourself an American citizen, you're living on this, in this country, we all are on somewhat of a mountaintop season and we, we're blessed. And so here's what I'm saying by that. We can get so caught up in all the things we have going on. Are we allowing ourselves time? Or are we allowing God to, in our proximity with God, allowing him to call to us and speak to us? In our seasons of provision, we can't forget the provider. I love how Abraham says, here I am. He didn't make God look for him or search for him. Y'all know the beginning of scripture, the Bible says that God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, and so they hide from God. And the Bible says that God comes down, same thing, same words, and he's calling to Adam and Eve, and he can't find them because they're hiding from him. See, Abraham, he calls to them, but yet he immediately says, here I am. Why? Because he understands that my life, all the things I've been blessed with, all the things that I've been taking, that God's given me, I know all come from him. So I'm not gonna let my job distract me from his voice. Why? Because he's the one that gave me the job. I'm not gonna let my spouse distract me from his voice. Why? Because he gave me the spouse. I'm not gonna let my child distract me from his voice. Why? Because he gave me the child. I'm not gonna let my school distract me from his, from his voice. Why? Because he gave me the, the opportunity to go to school. He gave me the, the, the opportunity to have an education. He gave me an opportunity to better myself. See, all these things, all those things are great. None of those things are wrong. A wife, a, a husband, a, a child, a school, a job, all, an education, all those things are great. But we can't allow those things to distract us from the first and most important thing and that is allowing him to interrupt our life to say, God, here I am. What are you saying to me? Are you, what, 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 do, you need? what do you want me to do? God, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm listening. Why? Because I want to continue to walk close to you in proximity with you. Genesis chapter 22 and verse one, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, here I am, he replied. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. In the mountaintop seasons, God will test our faith. He tests us. He calls to us, but he also tests us. Now, when we say testing, that doesn't mean temptation. Okay, so people will say, you know, I've been struggling with something and I've been struggling. And so my faith's really being tested to stand up for Jesus so I don't fall into those, those things. That's not, that's not testing. That's temptation. God does not tempt God tests. I want to show it to you in James chapter one and verse 13. It says, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts 
anyone else. God does not tempt. Tempt, being tempted is leading us to sin. Okay, so temptation, the purpose of temptation is to lead us to sin. God would never tempt, why? Because he never leads us to sin. God tests, why? It's two different things. Temptation leads us to sin. Testing leads us to growth. So he tests us and tests our faith to grow in our relationship and our character with him. Does that make sense? And so he tests Abraham's faith right here. He says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask something of you. And for us, you have to realize in moments and seasons of mountaintop being blessed and seasons of when God's moving in our lives, he's wanting to test us. Why? Because he's wanting to continue to cause us, cause us, excuse me, to, to grow in relationship with him, to grow in our character, to grow in our integrity, to grow in our, our walk, in our faith, in our, our, our endurance with him. And it's important that we understand that. And here's what's cool too. In the mountaintop seasons, oftentimes God is wanting to redefine, not redefine, God is wanting to continue to refine is the word I want to use. He continues to want to refine our identity in him. Okay, on the mountaintop experiences, God wants, this is why he tests our face. He tests our face to continue to, to refine our identity in him. He calls Abraham. He says, we just read it, Abraham, Abraham. Okay, before this, a few, just a few chapters before this, Abraham's real name was not Abraham. His name was Abram. Okay, and Abram, what happened was God comes and meets with him and he says, I'm gonna give you a covenant. I'm making a covenant with you. And so now through the covenant with you, I'm gonna change your name to remind you of that covenant and that new covenant and that new name will be called, you'll be called Abraham. Okay, so now he's calling to him named by, calling him Abraham to remind him of the covenant that was first made. See, the covenant that you and I have with God, if you can call yourself a Christian, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that now you have a new covenant through Christ that with Christ with God that now we are sons and daughters in him. Through Christ, through the covenant of Christ, we are now sons and daughters. That's our identity. Not in something we do or something we did, but our identity because of what he did. Now we are sons and daughters. And so he'll test us and test our identities to make sure that we understand and know that we are first his sons and his daughters. See, the testing of Abraham was this. It wasn't, do you love Isaac or do you love me? That was not the test. The test wasn't, Abraham, do you love God? That was not the test. The test was not, Abraham, do you love Isaac? That was not the test. The test was this, Abraham, are you first a son or first a father? Are you gonna choose first to be a father or are you gonna choose first your identity in being a son? And so here's what happens with us. God is always wanting to continue to refine our identity and know who we are in Christ. We first are sons and daughters. Why? Because if we are not first son, if our identity is something, in, 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 I'm stuttering all over my words. If our identity is in something other than him, whatever our identity is in, that is what's first in our life. If our identity is first at our job, let me say it this way. If our job comes first, then what happens is that position, that title is who we are before a son or a daughter. I become a pastor before I come a, become a son of Christ. You become a contractor, a realtor, uh, 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 whatever you do, a, a car salesman, a, deal, a co uh, uh, employer, whatever it is, you become, that becomes first. And so because that's first, now you find your identity in that other than in Christ. And so here's what happens. 
The enemy tries to get us, and this is what the Bible calls idols. God, the enemy tries to put us, to, gets us, excuse me, to put things before God, above God, first before God, so that then, now we know these are idols, and then from that, now we start to find our identity in those things, and here's the problem with that. When, that's, when that is the issue, God wants to come and test us. Okay, is that job really more important? Or is, is that husband or that wife more important? Is that, that child more important? Are they first? Because if they're first, he wants to test that, why? Because if they're first, then that's where our identity lies. Now, here's the problem with that. If our identity is in anything other than Christ, this is where we start to make decisions based on things of this world and we'll fall into sin. We'll, be, we'll fall into confusion. Our identity has to always start with being in Christ, knowing who we are in Christ. What we do or what we feel has nothing to do with who we are. Who we are has to do with what he did, the covenant that he made between you and I, that he, we are now sons and daughters. And this is what God tries to test. Why? Because he wants us to stand firm and know our identity is in him. Why? Because from that comes the fulfillment of life. Make sense? It's so important you understand this. Just recently, and I'm not making fun of these people, but just recently I read an article that there are now children kids, school-age kids that are identifying as dogs and cats. And the parents, I'm not making fun of the parents, and they're, they're allowing them to identify as dogs and cats. And they think or they feel like they're a dog and cat, so they're letting them live their life as a dog or a cat. I'm not making fun of them. Hear my heart. I'm not making fun of them. But here's what's happened in our world. This is why I know we're on a mountaintop season. And mountaintop seasons, it's so easy to put other things before God. And we put other things before God that we create confusion. And those things become God, the idols. They become God. And then from them becoming God, now we start to use those things as our identity. See, feelings, this is what happens in our world when we start to identify anything other than Christ. We can say our feelings are above God. So I feel this way. I feel like I am a dog. I feel like I'm a cat. I'm not making fun of them. I feel like that. So now because I feel like that, I'm putting that before God. So now I feel find my identity is in my feelings. So now whatever I feel, I do. No, my identity is in my, and who I am is not, nothing to do with what I feel. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. Meaning my feelings are gonna lie to me. What we have to do is we have to be firm in our foundation of knowing we are sons and daughters and our identity is in him. So now we walk in obedience to him, not our own feelings. Is this Okay. Everybody's real quiet, praise God. Somebody's like, man, where's, where's the Christmas story? Help me out. <laughs> I just wanna teach truth to you because we're living in a world where we are in a, in a country where we are on a mountaintop experience and God wants to test our faith. And how does he test our faith? He tests our faith by defining and continuing to refine our identity in him. The question was not, do you love Isaac? The question was not even, do you love God? The question is, was, are you father or are you son first? And that's for you and I, as we walk through things. He doesn't hate your job. He gave you your job. He doesn't hate your spouse. He gave you your spouse. You may hate your spouse. We'll pray for you. He doesn't hate your children. He doesn't want, he doesn't want children to come, you're harmful. No, here's what he wants. He wants to know who's first. Who's first in your life? He doesn't hate your relationship. He wants to know who's first in your life because whatever's first 
is what you will find your identity in. And what you find your identity in is what you will go to to find fulfillment. And no, nothing and no one on this planet will fulfill us other than Christ. It's important that we understand this. Genesis chapter 22 in verse two, it says, then God said, take our son, take your son, excuse me, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morai. Sacrifice him there in a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, whose name's Isaac, and go to the region of Morai. Sacrifice him with a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say what mountain? He says on a mountain I'll show you. Why? Because on mountaintop experiences, really all experiences in life, seasons life, God wants to guide us. He doesn't give us the whole picture. Why? Because he desires for us to turn our dependence on him. And he wants to guide us. And oftentimes, hear me, in, in mountaintop seasons, oftentimes we can become so distracted with all the things we have going on that our eyes can get focused on those things and not on him. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, it says, fix your eyes or keep your eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Whatever my eyes are fixed on, whatever my eyes are focused on, whatever it is, that's where, that's where my life's gonna be led. If my, if, my, if my eyes are fixed on a promotion, that's what's leading me. You ever been driving in a car, one of your friends gets next to you and you start waving at him and you're looking at him, next thing you know, you're about to hit him, come on somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like your friend's like, oh, you know, because you're about to hit them because you're just like, and you, wherever your eyes are, you start to lean. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? Because what our eyes are fixed on is, what we'll, is where we'll be led. And so we have to continue to always fix our eyes on Jesus. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? I'm glad you asked, through the scripture. The Bible says that he is the word, the word became flesh. As we read the scripture, as we continue to study the scripture, we know Christ and we can continue to walk and live according to his purposes and his plans. But in, in blessing seasons, if we're not careful, we can get into seasons and places where we're focused so much on the promotion or focused on so much of being a good dad, and that's great, or being focused on so much on, on getting that new job, and that's great, or focus so much on getting that education, and that's great. We can focus so much on, on, on being a good spouse, and that's great. All those things are great, but if we fix our eyes on those things and not on Christ first, what's gonna happen is that relationship or that, that job or that promotion, that's gonna be what it is that leads us. It's interesting because it's just human nature. Human nature is, as I'll, even walking, as I'm looking at something, my, I'm just gonna naturally lean towards it. I remember um, being in, I, got, I went to go, on, I got to go, excuse me, on a missions trip. Um, maybe, I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago now, and I got to go to, to Africa, and the, one of the missionaries, he had this big four-by-four four truck, I mean, this big old four-by-four four thing, and you could take it anywhere, and he's like, you know what we're gonna do? We're going on our own safari. I was like, let's do it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm down for some safari action. And we went, and we started driving around, and he, we, were, we were cruising around, we're doing, and he says, okay, over here in this section over here, that's where the zebras are. And so he would drive on this land, and we'd get all, and we'd, we'd see the zebras. He'd be running by the cars, and I'm like, oh. And we'd get to a place where, we'd, he's like, over here in this section over here, I'm gonna take you over here, that's where the giraffes are. And we get over there, that's where the giraffes are. He's like, okay, on this season, that's where the lions are. We're gonna go, I'm like, no, let's not go over there. <laughs> I don't wanna go in the Okay, anyways. How foolish would it have been in a place that I've never been and don't know would I have said, you're not leading me. 
Let me show you where to go. How foolish of me, of me would it have been to say, let me take you on this road and let me show you where it is that we're trying to go. Why? Because he's the guide and he knows because he's ahead of me and he's gone before me. He knows those things. And because he, he lives there. How foolish would it have been for me to say, no, get, let me get behind the wheel. I'll show you where these animals are. No, I would have been driving around wandering hoping to hit the target in, what I, in which what I was looking for. That wasn't proper English, but that's what I meant. I would have hoped, I would have been driving around, wandering, hoping to hit the target of what I was looking for. It's the same thing with God. God says, I wanna lead you. I wanna, I wanna guide you. And we're like, no God, I got this. I'll take care of this. I'll take this promote. I can get this promotion or I can take care of my family. God, I got this. Just you step back. You just watch. And then here's what happens. We end up wandering, hoping to hit a target of being a good husband, hoping to hit the target of being a good, uh, having a good education, hoping to hit the target of fulfillment or satisfaction. And it's all because we're not giving God the wheel, if you will. Jesus, take, anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Praise God. It's important that we understand this. That God desires to guide us, but he can't guide us if we're not willing to give him the wheel. And I know that's a cheesy song, but if we're not willing to give him our lives and say, God, I wanna follow you. On these mountaintop experiences, here's what happens. We can feel like we got everything under control. We can feel like we're good, we're blessed, we got some security, we got some things together. And so we're feeling good about ourselves. And so now I'll just start, next thing you know, I start to wander a little bit. Next thing you know, I'm making my own decisions. I'm not trusting him, I'm not asking him. Next thing you know, I'm jumping into my own relationships. I'm not seeking him. And next thing you know, I'm leading myself because of how comfortable and how blessed I've become. Genesis chapter 22 and verse one, it says this, sometime later, we read it already, I'll read it to you again, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morai. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Then check out verse three, I love this. It says early in the morning, or early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. See, on mountaintop experiences, God calls us. He tests us, he guides us, but also he commands us. Isn't it interesting that God didn't say, Abraham, would you please lay down your son? Isn't it interesting he didn't come and say, Abraham, please, 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 please. Abraham, please, please, Abraham, please, please, Abraham, please, please, Abraham, I'm asking you, would you give me your son? Isn't it interesting that God comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. He commands him. See, as a culture and a society, we, we get this concept sometimes that God asks us. And so when he asks us, that means because he's asking us, it's just a request. But when someone asks you something, you can choose whether you do or you don't. A command is not a choose, I do, or I don't. It's I do because I'm commanded to do it. Why? Because it's walking in obedience. See, oftentimes in our society, in our culture, we want God to be father and we want God to be, and we want God to be savior. 
but oftentimes we don't want God to be Lord. Oftentimes we don't want God to be Lord of our life, meaning this, I'm choosing to walk in obedience to you because of who you are, not because you asked me, because you told me. And sometimes God will come and he'll say, I need you to lay down that, that relationship. Hey, I need you to go talk to that coworker. Hey, I need you to lay down that, that, that promotion and not, or, or let, let go of that job or, or let go of the desire for that job. I just need you to let that go. And here's what happens. We, we can take it as if God's asking us now, it's like, well, like God wants me to kind of give it up, but you know what, God, it's all good. Like I'm gonna figure it out. And so I'll just keep, I'll just keep walking with it. Why? Because we can oftentimes see God as father because of his great love for us and he does love us. We can see him as this great savior and he frees us and redeems us and, and delivers us and he does that. But he, he's also Lord, meaning this, he is a God that desires for us to walk in obedience to him. Why? Because obedience is what really leads to fulfillment. I love this. In verse one, we just read, it said, sometime later, sometime later, sometime later, meaning there was the seizing of being of blessing. And there was this season from when we're blessed. What happens is oftentimes we become comfortable in our seasons of blessing. We're comfortable where we are. We're comfortable being blessed. We're comfortable in the relationship. We're comfortable in the promotion. We're comfortable with the retirement. We're comfortable with the picket fence. We're comfortable. We feel good about it. Yeah, there may be some things that are stressing us out, but we're comfortable. And comfortable is not always bad. Comfortable becomes bad when we become complacent. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. So comfortable leads to complacency. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes God will come and he'll command us to lay down our being comfortable, our comfortability. Why? Because he desires for us to walk in obedience. See, here's what's interesting about our culture. We think that comfortable means fulfilled. In our society, the dream is to get to a place where I'm comfortable. Well, when I'm comfortable, that's when I'll be fulfilled. That's not true. I've never met someone who has everything that they ever wanted and they're comfortable in their lifestyle and they're fulfilled. Comfortability does not lead to fulfillment. How do I know that? Because I've been to third world countries. I've been to countries where there is nothing. That they don't have toys, they don't have balls. They, they, make, they make balls out of dirt and they kick the dirt around as their ball to play with. But here's what's interesting. Those children have more joy than we do. Why is that? Because being comfortable is not what leads to fulfillment. What leads to fulfillment is obedience. As I walk with him and I obey him, see our human nature doesn't wanna obey because we wanna do our own thing. And we think that's what leads to fulfillment. That is not true. What leads to obedience is when we lay it down and we say, God, it's yours. And as we say, God, it's yours, here's what happens. Then now we walk out and we live and we find ourselves fulfilled because of our obedience, not because of something sitting and being comfortable doing whatever it is that we feel like we should be doing. Obedience. I know this is a little bit more of an intense message. You're like, man, I really was hoping to hear about the birth of Jesus. But I'm telling you, we have to be a people. If you call yourself a Christian, if you don't call yourself a Christian, that's great. Guess what that means? You don't have to worry about obedience. But for those of us that do call ourselves Christians, God desires for us to walk in obedience. He's not just savior and he's not just father. He's also Lord. And here's what's interesting. Abraham 
is in this season of where he's just, he's, just, he's blessed, he's, he's grateful, he's loving God. And God comes to him and asks, I want you to lay down your son. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes in our seasons of our greatest blessings, God asks for our greatest gifts. He didn't ask Abraham for money. He didn't ask Abraham for more cattle. He didn't ask Abraham for more land. He went straight to where, what's the most valuable thing to you? I want your greatest gift. And I love Abraham. The Bible says in verse three that he gets up early the next morning. He doesn't wait. It says he gets up early the next morning because he desires to walk in obedience to God. I'm gonna close today, but I wanna show you, I wanna tell you this. I don't really believe spiritual maturity is how much Bible you know. Reading our Bibles and knowing the Bible and memorizing scripture is so important. But I don't think that's what defines spiritual maturity. I don't think spiritual maturity is how much you believe in God. Believing in God is important. But I don't think that's what defines spiritual maturity. In fact, the Bible says even the demons believe in God. How much we pray, I don't believe. That's what defines spiritual maturity. I believe in praying. I think every person should. We should spend time in devotion with God. I think we should. I think it's so important, but I don't think it's what defines our spiritual maturity. You know what I think defines spiritual maturity? The time period from when he says to when we do. I love that he says, I need you to lay down your son. I need you to give, I need you to give your greatest gift. I need you to lay it down. And I love that immediately. The Bible says early the next morning, he didn't wait. I gotta start responding, why? Because it's showing us a picture of what spiritual maturity really is. Spiritual maturity is the time period and how long it takes us from when he says it to when we do it. Here's the question I would ask all of us, myself included, God's been slapping me this week. What's your response time look like? What's your response time look like? Maybe God's been asking you and you're saying, well, maybe this, maybe, maybe you're saying, well, I haven't really heard God in a while. Well, maybe he said something to you a while back and he's been waiting for you and he hasn't responded anymore because he's still waiting for you and that's where your response time, he's still waiting. And maybe it's you need to go back to what it was he asked or he said and to what you walk it out and continue to do what he's asked you to do. I don't know, but I do know this. Spiritual maturity, I really believe, is defined for the time period of when he says of what I do. Maybe God's said he wants you to let go of that unforgiveness or that bitterness in your heart and you're like, well, God, you don't know what they did to me or you don't know what they said to me or you don't know how they affected my heart and my, my, my life. You don't understand. Yeah, God, it, we, me and you, we are not responsible. God does not want us to be responsible for what someone did to us, but he does want us responsible for how we respond to it. 
And that response time of when he says, let go, because the scripture says, the Bible says, to let go of all unforgiveness. The response time of when I let go, when I hear it and when I do it, that's what defines my spiritual maturity. Not how much Bible I know, not how much church I go to, not how many small groups I attend. None of that matters if we're not willing to walk in obedience to him. I know this might not be the easiest message to hear, but we are living in a time, in a culture, in a society where everybody wants to obey everything other than God. And we must be a people that stand firm following him, whether we feel good about it or not, whether we like it or not. None of that matters. Why? Because we desire for him to be savior. We desire for him to be father and we desire for him to be Lord. I want my life to reflect obedience to him. Why? Because this is what truly leads to fulfillment. Obeying him is the only thing on this planet and beyond. The cool thing about God is we don't just get fulfillment on this moment. We get fulfillment for eternity. It's the only thing. So the question I would ask you today, God's been asking me all week, what's your response time look like? What's your response time from when he said it to when you do it? Because that is what defines our spiritual maturity. We see in the scripture that Abraham and Isaac, they get all their stuff prepped early in the morning and they go and they take three days of a journey and they get to this mountain and Isaac turns around, looks at his dad and he says, Pop, we got the knife we got the wood, we got the fire. Pop, where's the sacrifice? Abraham's like, you about to find out, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just joking, he didn't say that. He says, God will, God will provide. The Bible says that they get to the place, they set up the altar. The Bible says he ties Isaac's hands up. Bible says he lays Isaac on the altar. Now we know that Abraham is a very old man. We know Isaac was probably a teenager to a college student to a young adult age. So more than likely, he didn't actually pick him up and put him, placed him. In fact, the Bible, we, many, many theologians believe that Isaac probably climbed up on the altar. And here's what's interesting. He gets on the altar. And God speaks again. Here's what's so cool. He says, Abraham, no, 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 wait, wait, stop, 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 no, 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 Abraham. He says, I want you to look over there. He provides an animal. But then right after Abraham and Isaac offer this offering to the Lord, the Bible says that God reconfirms his covenant with Abraham. This is so important. You got to catch this. This is so important. I'm closing, I promise. We'll go eat some cheeseburgers in just a minute. Praise God for cheeseburgers. He reconfirms his covenant with Abraham. Now, here's what's interesting. Before this, God only ever confirmed the covenant with Abraham with Abraham. Isaac is here. Isaac is the one that was on the altar. And here's what's so cool. See, before this, God probably tells Isaac, you're special. And being a good dad that Abraham was, Isaac was probably like, dad, stop. Like, no, son, I'm so proud of you. 
You're going to be special. You're awesome. Uh, you know, pumping him up. And his son's probably with Isaac, probably like, yeah, dad, stop. You're embarrassing me in front of all my homies. You know what I'm saying? Stop, stop, stop. No, son, I'm telling you, God's made a covenant with you, not just me. Yeah, dad, stop, stop, just stop, just please stop. Well, here's what's cool. This was the first time that Isaac hears the covenant for himself. You gotta catch this, you gotta catch this, you gotta catch this. Before this, God's covenant, God's blessing, God's voice was always only coming through Abraham to Isaac. But through Abraham's obedience of choosing to say, you ask, I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Because of his obedience, now not only does he hear the covenant, his son now hears the covenant as well. Now not only is he blessed with the covenant, now his son is as well. Oh my goodness, can I encourage you for a a second. The God that we serve when we walk in obedience, he doesn't just bless us. Through our obedience to him, he blesses generations beyond us. If you have children in the room, oh my goodness, if you're online and you have children in the room, oh, I want to get you excited. Your children will not have to deal with the same things you dealt with. Will not have to go through some of the same things you went through. Will be blessed because of your obedience. If you're a young person in the room, like, I ain't worried about no kids. I'm just looking for a boo. Let me tell you something. I want to... I want to tell you something, young people. You at this place are the Isaacs. As you climb onto the altar altar, and walk in obedience to what God is asking you of, not only will you hear his voice, but then now you're going to have part of the covenant that God has given you, and people and generations beyond you will be blessed because of your sacrifice of obedience to him. We obey because he's Lord, but he doesn't just stop and just say, yeah, I'm commanding you, and he leaves us. No, he desires to, for us to walk in obedience because he knows the life on the other side of obedience is way better than what we could ever come up with on our own. You can't take care of your children for eternity. He can. You can't heal your children. He can. You can't provide for your children. We're like, what do you mean? Like, I got a retirement. Like, I can set them up. Yeah, all those things are great. Retirement's great. But let me tell you something. An eternal impact you make on someone's life and your children's lives is way more important than how much money they receive when you're gone. Why? Because those things fade. His presence remains forever. I want to challenge you. I'm closing, I know, for the 15th time. We're all somewhat on a mountaintop experience season. You may think it, you may not. It's all good. But I'll say this. I desire to be a group of individuals that are people that don't just call him father. That don't just call him savior. Yes, he's father. And yes, he's savior. But that we would also be people that call him Lord. Here's the question I'll close with. What's your response time look like? Because your response time will show you, will show God, and will show others what your, your spiritual maturity really looks like. Let's be a church that lives 
lives walking in obedience. Amen. Can we pray today? Father, I thank you so much.